This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome here live on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. We're here on every week here at 9 a.m. in the West, noon in the East, and wherever you are, happen to be in between. And uh, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. So uh, anything you'd like to just talk about, any subject, any specific question about your pet, now is the time to get the advice for free. Hopefully it'll be good advice. I can't promise it. But uh, I guess after like my 38th year, I'm, I know a little something. I've learned something over the years. Let's put it that way. So how to get a hold of me? Very easy. You can do the easy way. It's not as fun, but it's okay. And that's uh, toll free. 877-385-8882. Once again, 877 877- 385-8882, or better yet, join me here live on our Zoom platform. You just go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, go to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, that's our show, and just tap on the link that Mark, our producer, has left for you, and you can join us here live. Ideally, have your pet with you. As they say, a picture's worth a 1,000 words, a live video, oh my God, a 100,000 words. And that's why telemedicine is so great, because if we can do telemedicine and see you and see your pet and actually engage real time, we as a veterinarians can be a lot more effective for you. And I want to welcome my Instagram live audience. And I'm trying to wave at everybody if, if I can. If I miss your wave, doesn't mean I'm not waving at you. It means you zoom by too fast and I couldn't get you. So um, and again, for you, if you would like to join me here live, I mean, of course, you're obviously here live, but with your pet to ask a question, move on over to uh, Pet Life Radio and click on the um, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, click on the Zoom link, and we can join you there. Or you can always send me a message directly after the show. Um, and I'll, I'll hang out a little bit after the show, too. So if you have anything specific, you want to wait with me, that's okay. Um, we can do that as well. So Anyway, as many of you know, unless you get less shy and decide to join me here live, I have stuff prepared. I love to peruse the news. We have some news sources that just are, are coming in every week. One of the things I'm trying to do for Dog TV is get a weekly news show going because there is so much out there. And a lot of the stuff comes straight to veterinarians. So you don't have the opportunity to know what is going on. And I think some of the stuff is useful information. A lot of stuff going on in science, a lot of stuff going on in research that ultimately can help you and your pets. So I think it would be a, you know, something that would be very interesting for most pet lovers out there. I know I find it interesting and I'm a pet lover. So there you go. Anyway, here was one who was come by the Emergency Medicine Critical Care Society. What do you do if your dog is choking? What, what are some of the things you can do? So they, they basically narrow it down to three things like immediate. Number one, open your dog's mouth and stick your finger and take a good look, get a good light, have someone hold a flashlight. Can you see anything? If you can, try to stick your finger in there, depending on the size of your mouth. It might be a pinky, it might be your index finger, and try to scoop out whatever it is that your dog might be choking on. A lot of times, one of the things that I see a lot of is you get these bones, all right, and they're munching on this bone, and the bone is the perfect size to go across the upper arcade by the heart palate and get stuck in between the two molars, and it is lodged. So your dog is sitting there, and you can see him. He's trying to get this thing out, and it is stuck. Very difficult to get out. Another, speaking of bones, we just had this last week. You know those big knuckle bones? Somehow, somehow, even with those teeth, the way they, they get it first over those canines, and then it slides on the jaw. <laughs> you 
I'm gonna call her this. And, and again, they're just going nuts, trying to get this thing out. And uh, it's really hard to do. So it takes some finesse. Usually, if it came on without that much of a problem, you can get it off. It's just a matter of lining up. You can't pull it out because the fangs, the lower canines are in the way. So you gotta sort of rotate it off the, the mouth and, and sort of slip it off the opposite way if it slipped on. But next, if you can't reach what it is that you're trying to get out of the mouth, what, what you, they recommend doing is you take your thumbs and you put them right here. So you're facing your dog. You put your thumbs right here by the neck, right under the jawline, and start pushing. Roll it forward. So maybe you can you can milk it out by putting your pressure on your thumbs and the esophagus, and it comes out that way. So that's also a possibility. Lastly, the good old-fashioned Heimlich. If it's past that point, so now it's down in the trachea, all right, and and you it's it's lodged. You do a Heimlich. A um, couple of ways to do it. It's, uh, this is one that I, it, seeing it is easier than trying to describe it. But if it's a smaller dog, you get behind it. You kind of it's it's on four feet on the ground. You put your thumb right here. You, you make like a fist right under the xiphoid, right where the rib cage comes together, and just give a push, and that might help. If it's a really big dog that you can't stand up or get under it because it's so heavy, you want to lie it on its side and kind of do the same thing with pushing pressure right right where the ribs end and the stomach starts and just give a really quick push and hopefully that will um, dislodge. Interesting though, regardless of if there is something that was stuck and you were able successfully to get rid of it, don't think you're out of the woods. You still should have your dog checked by your veterinarian. Why? Because there could have been some damage done during the process of either dislodging or of it getting down there in the first place and Dogs that could tear an esophagus or tear a trachea. So depending on where and whether it's, it's stuck in the, in, in, the, in the esophagus or the trachea, if it's choking, it's probably the trachea um, or it's blocking the airway. It could have caused some damage as well. So you want to have that checked out. Anyway, so there's, even if the airway is unblocked, you still want to make an appointment to see your vet as soon as possible. So we have two COVID stories with animals. Again, well, this one is with cats and the other one, it shouldn't surprise you because it's with gorillas. But let's do the cat one first. So it's an Amer tiger, all right, at South Dakota's Great Plains Zoo. Tested positive for so the SARS-CoV-2. And two other tigers and two snow leopards also tested. Well, the, other, the two other tigers, their symptoms are there. They're waiting for the test results. But based on what they've already seen, they're pretty sure that it is the virus as well. So, and what's interesting is what we've seen from many, many stories like this over the last several, several months, is that when cats, big cats especially, get the, the COVID-19, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, they get sick, but they don't get, like, it's not a deathly sick. They get some res respiratory signs, a little coughing, sneezing, uh, gagging, and they seem to all get over it pretty well. Uh, they can get it, and it's usually not as serious as it can be with some of us. And what's so interesting is that most of the case, in fact, if not all, but I can't say all because it hasn't been confirmed, but the cases traditionally that we see, usually in these zoos where we have these animals that are coming down with COVID, it's because of a person that was working at the zoo who was positive for COVID. So it's very important, I think, that they should be tested and every, I mean, any zoo official, any zoo employee, 100% should be, especially anyone working with cats or the primates. So here's the story with the gorilla. It's a Western lowland gorilla at the Kansas City Zoo, tested positive for the Delta variant, not, not just SARS-CoV-2, but the Delta variant. Clearly, it's coming from a person. And five other gorillas 
in the troop are also presumed to be positive, though they're waiting on their test results to be confirmed. They all show signs, interestingly, and uh, are receiving supportive care, vitamins, expectorant, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Just it's symptomatic, almost like us getting a cold, almost like us getting the flu. That's how they're being treated. Fortunately, they don't get as sick as we do, but they can get it. And obviously, during the time that they are infected and being affected by the virus, they probably can transmit it to people. But I mean, <laughs> let's face it, other than the zoo employee that is working with those gorillas, who else are they going to come in such close contact with that they're going to be giving it to another person? Anyone who wants to get into one of those enclosures with a gorilla and they get COVID, they're lucky they're only coming away with COVID and, uh, and not coming away with their life. So uh, anyway, I just found it. It's really fascinating how some of these animals are able to become infected. So this is something that any of you, by show of hands, how many of you have small dogs out there? I have some, I have five dogs, but some of them are small. And one thing that we know, so we know that small dogs seem to have worse mouths when it comes to dental disease, periodontal disease than large dogs. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to see like a little Yorkie or a little Maltese or a Chihuahua with by the time they hit 13, 14, they have no teeth left in their mouth and the breath still smells or they have two teeth that are now rotting. So we see this, and I tell people all the time, we see it much more in smaller dogs. So check this out. The extra small breeds, dogs less than 14 pounds, are up to five times more likely to develop periodontal disease than larger dogs. These are dogs, they say, over 55 pounds. Now, obviously, there are other factors. It's the age of the dog. It's their weight. It is their, their diets. And also, how aggressive you are as pet parents in making sure that their pet's teeth are cleaned. If you're really good at it and you brush them regularly and you have basic routine dental care regularly, then your dogs, even though small breeders, are going to do fine. But as they get older, typically, you know, dogs don't start really developing their tartar gingivitis, their periodontal disease until around three. That's after three years of age that many dogs start needing just routine dental care. And if you stay on top of it and you brush their teeth regularly, usually once a year is okay going through their, their you know, middle age. But when these small breeds get older, I tell people you're coming in at least twice a year, if not more, for routine dental cleanings, you know, dental cleanings with sedation, anesthesia by your veterinarian. And those are critical. Now, I know we've talked about this before, and this is when I get to sit on my soapbox a little bit. And that is what about these places that do quote unquote, non-anesthesia dentals or anesthesia-free dentals? And just to, to be completely transparent, I used to have a woman come in. She was a former dental hygienist and she would do an actually pretty amazing job cleaning these dogs' teeth. I mean, I, I would look at it. I was so impressed. First of all, I said, how do you do it? How? I mean, she would sit there on the floor, low light, soft music, and lull these dogs and, and able to scrape the teeth clean. It was amazing. So uh, years later, I was doing this for a couple, many years, actually, a report comes out by Dr. Jan Bellows, very well-known veterinary dentist. He's the man. And um, he did a study uh, it was a, a three-year study, maybe it was four years, but he was taking, uh, identifying dogs that went to these anesthesia-free, these groomers, whatever it was, these dental grills, there's some out there that are doing this non-anesthesia dentistries, and as well, identifying dogs that were going regularly to the veterinarian for their dentals with anesthesia. So 
What he did was he had them come in to his office before and after. Uh, he, by the way, lives in two places because he splits his time between Colorado and Florida. So he did it actually both places. So I just some location differences too. And it's not just one area where someone could say, oh, well, that's because you live in Colorado. We know there's dental disease in Colorado. I mean, obviously I'm just joking, but that was what he did. So he had Florida, Colorado. And um, interestingly, he had them come before and after for pictures. Well, also what he did on the after and the post treatment, he took x-rays. So the pictures actually were very impressive of the non-anesthesia group as well. They were able to do a really, really good job as far as what we can see. When you lift up the lip, you look at the teeth. Oh, oh how clean, how nice, how beautiful, right? But the x-rays after three years, the difference between the non-anesthetic group and the anesthetic group was amazing. It was, it was so clearly obvious. And it was sad to see the bone destruction in the non-anesthesia group was dramatic. You need to get under the gums, just like your dentist and your dental hygienist does with you. They're scraping underneath and they're really, really getting a tight, tight, clean job under the gums as well. And if you don't do that, the bacteria in the mouth, they start eating away at the um, bone and the attachment of the tooth to the bone. You get the tartar packed up in there and it becomes a total disaster. So bottom line, you're not really doing yourselves or your dog a favor by these places. You need to see your vet. You need to have anesthesia. Um, you need to do a thorough cleaning. Now, if you want to take that year and because you don't do such a good job brushing and maybe in the midway point, at six months or four months, go to one of those places for a thorough scaling, get rid of that. That's a good idea too. But as far as using that as your sole solution to preventing periodontal disease, it's not going to work. So just keep that in mind. Before we go break, real quickie, snacking on plants. Like, you know, we know a lot of dogs eat grass. And they're, they're a quintessential question. Are they eating grass because they know it's going to make them vomit? Or are they eating grass because they like it? And some say that they do know they're going to make them vomit and therefore they eat the grass. I don't know if I buy that. And I'll tell you why in a minute. It could mean that they're just lacking fiber in their diet and they want fiber. And that's, that's okay, but there are better ways to give it. As far as the vomiting thing, my feeling is this. There is something called avoidance therapy. If you want to have your dog avoid something, if you can put an emetic in it, something that makes them vomit, or if they vomit like very soon, within minutes after they eat it, they usually avoid it. So if a dog was trying to eat grass because they knew it would make them vomit, First of all, it's a pretty smart dog. But the vomiting from grass doesn't take place in a minute or two minutes or three minutes. Sometimes it's, it's a half hour later. Well, usually by half hour later, even when you try avoidance therapy, if they liked what they ate at the time that they ate it, but it made them vomit half hour later, 20 minutes later, they're going to eat it again. They don't make the association. It's too far away. In order for the association to be made, it has to be like pretty quick, within minutes. So that's why I don't know if, if they eat the grass because they know it's going to make them vomit. I think they eat the grass because they, it does taste good. There's a sweetness to it, and it might settle their stomach a little bit, and that's why they eat it, not realizing since dogs don't have cellulase, they can't digest the grass, and it's going to come up you know, 20 minutes, half hour later. But what I would say is either way, animals that are eating a lot of grass should be checked because there may be something going on in their GI tract. And understand, there are a lot of weeds, plants, flowers that are, that, are, that are toxic to pets. I mean, a lot of them. Lilies will kill your cat. I mean, be careful. But chrysanthemum, yew, certain ferns, um, what else? Black walnut, even tomato. The, the, the flowers, the plants of a tomato plant can be toxic to your pets. And even plants that aren't necessarily toxic, we still have to worry about things like um, if they're in, uh, treated with insecticides. 
right? So, or sometimes if they eat too much of them, it can cause a blockage or they can be irritating to a GI tract. Not, not, not poisonous, but just irritating. So again, we want to be really careful. So time for our break. When we come back, we're going to talk about flu, which we're seeing a lot, and another food recall and any questions you guys may have on either Instagram or right here on Pet Life Radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these short messages. So I just want to tell you about a company that I came across and I really think what they do is great. Carlson Pet Products. Very, very affordable. The company specializes in creating pet safety products to keep your pet happily protected from the puppy stage through their senior years. They have a variety of products. They have pet pens, they have foldable elevated beds, crates, pet gates. I mean, all phenomenal stuff. Their pet gates I love because basically they fit any size opening in your home. And most of the gates also have like a walk-through door. It's a small door for your pet to pass through without having to remove the whole gate. So it's really, really cool. Look them up, carlsonpetproducts.com. Get a 25% discount and free shipping if you use the promo code PETLIFE, P-E-T-L-I-F-E. Check them out. You're going to love them. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for Dogs and Cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select Petco locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, we're back here live with Dr. Jeff Werber on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff and on my Instagram Live. Thanks for those of you that are joining me. That's uh, that's great. I love to see it. So, um. You know, we hadn't had a food recall in a while, and um, uh, this so this one came on. This was a big one because it was fifty five hundred cases cases of food um, by um, from, and they're pretty well known. And it just shows it can happen. It's a good food company. Uh, just you know, in the process of manufacturing making this food, one where somewhere along the line something gets out of whack, somebody makes a mistake, maybe it's a human error, certainly not done purposely, and so um, a number of their canned foods had too high amounts of vitamin D. Remember vitamin D along with its A, D, E, and K are your fat soluble vitamins. And unlike water soluble vitamins, your B's and your C's that you can almost, you know, just, just have as much as you want because whatever you don't need, just you get, comes out in the urine, different with fat soluble vitamins. And these cases are, here they are. It was their four-star shredded beef, their shredded pork, their chicken, and their turkey with the best buy to, you know, purchase date of August, 2024. So look at your from foods. If you have anything like that, you want to take it back. You'll get your money back, recall. And uh, they just had, they had excessive amounts of vitamin D. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal if you have too much vitamin D. Well, first of all, vomiting, uh, anorexia, loss of appetite, 
increased thirst, increased urination, obviously from the increased thirst, drooling, weight loss, and renal dysfunction. And um, so, and, if, if the, and this is all can happen if these animals get too much of a food that's high in vitamin D and eat too much of it. So just one of those, you know, to be extra cautious, to be extra careful. And speaking of caution and careful, I know many parts that we've been uh, uh, having this whole blowout with leptospirosis. Now, mind you, leptospirosis is not a new disease. As we discussed, it's been around for years and years. Way back in the day, I mean, when I was in vet school 40 years ago, we were vaccinated against lepto. But the problem is because of the vaccine itself, of all the vaccines we give, seem to have the highest rate of vaccine reaction. Now, I'm not talking about a reaction like we get with COVID where you can be hospitalized. No, but it, the dog will be under the weather. It can have a soreness. It would be just, as we say, very scientifically, ADR. ADR ain't doing right. And so that's what would happen with it. So we really, I started at least, because I'm not, a, I mean, I'm totally a fan. Yes, a fan of vaccine, but I'm not a fan of unnecessary vaccine. I'm not a fan of a vaccine like the canine, let me be very clear here, the canine coronavirus vaccine, which is basically 24-hour stomach flu. And I just don't want to why give another vaccine for 24-hour stomach flu, you know, or like here in California, an indoor-only cat. Does it really need a rabies vaccine? It's not required by law in California. Many states, it is required by law for cats as well, in which case you got to do it. But does it really need a rabies vaccine if it's indoor only? Are you inviting rabid animals into your home? When was the last time a bat you sat in and cuddled up next to your bat or your rabid raccoon or skunk while you're watching TV? So likewise, leukemia, leukemia virus, what does it require for transmission of leukemia virus? It's prolonged direct contact with leukemia positive cat. Well, I have five cats and they're all indoors. Am I worried? They're all leukemia negative. What am I worried about? So why would I want to vaccinate them, especially since the following? We've talked about this before. The feline vaccine-induced sarcoma. Once again, the feline vaccine-induced sarcoma. That is a tumor that is coming from a vaccine. Some cats, it could be just a hypersensitivity to just the injection itself, regardless of what it is. But it is often implicated with these vaccines. Why would you want to give a vaccine to a cat where they, it could get this tumor and yet it didn't need the vaccine in the first place? Well, that's dumb. If any of you have seen your cat being vaccinated, that's why, interestingly now, you know what we give the vaccine? Not in the flank, not in the shoulder area, which, not behind the neck where a lot of vets give. No, we give it in a limb, in an extremity, in the soft tissue, the subcutaneous space, in a thigh, for example. Why? Because if the animal gets this feline vaccine-induced sarcoma, you can treat it by, sounds pretty gross, amputating the leg. Whereas if you gave the vaccine somewhere in the trunk, you're going to have a dead cat. So again, um, that's how I feel. Now let's talk about, so the lepto became a lifestyle vaccine. If your dog, if you took it hiking, places where there are the animals that are shedding this bacterium, such as wolves and coyotes and deer and rats and skunks and raccoons and opossums, then yes, you would want, if they're peeing and urinating in streams, the dogs are licking the streams, they're sniffing the plants where these animals, these wild animals have urinated on, and that's how they get it. So it's so important to be very, very careful. And now that those animals are coming into many of our areas, we're not taking our animals to their homes, they're coming into our homes. They're walking our neighborhoods. I take my dogs out at night. I see skunks. I see raccoons. I see coyotes coming down Beverly Drive in Beverly Hills. 
It's insane. So we have to be much more careful. So I'm now recommending there have been like something like 60 cases in the West LA, Santa Monica, Venice area in, in, in West Los Angeles. So yes, I am recommending the vaccine. Now, influenza, you know, years ago when it first came out, the disease, I wasn't a big fan. But now a couple of things happening. Number one, we're seeing more of it. There's now the H3N2 strain, new to the H3N8 strain. that was the older one. The vaccines will protect against both. But what's happening is a lot of facilities that are taking care of your dogs during the day, doggy daycares, the dog parks, right, grooming facilities, boarding facilities, et cetera, are not recommending it anymore. They are actually requiring it. There were two doggy daycare facilities here in West L.A. that had to close down for two weeks because they had influenza. You can't. So they're saying, you know what? I can't. We can't be closed for two weeks. That's our livelihood. So now they're not recommending. They're requiring it. So you need to check with your facilities and if there are places like that, if you are seeing facilities like that or you go to one, you may want to talk to your veterinarian about the influenza vaccine as well. Anyway, that's all we have time for. If you have any specific questions, you can always reach me here live on Pet Life Radio. You can get me at Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, Jeff at AirVet.com. That's our telemedicine platform. Or you can just Instagram me. You're here on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, uh, I will get you whatever I can. Anyway, we'll be here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Dr. Jeff once again. Thanks to our producer, Mark, for producing a wonderful show. And um, I will um, be uh, back here next week. And uh, I'm available pretty much anytime you need me. So have a good week, everybody. And uh, see you then. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.